Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Good morning. I hope you're well. Welcome to Luck on Sunday. Through the next 90 minutes, we have a packed show for you, and here's what's coming up. Well, we've got Derby fever this week, and we will begin by looking back on last evening's Irish Derby. It was a win number 14 in that race for Aidan O'Brien. Would you believe it? You probably would. He also had the 1-2-3-4, and this horse Santiago is making up into quite a thoroughbred after his heroics at Royal Ascot. He wheeled right back and did it all over again. Irish Derby number four for Shamie Heffernan. Aidan will seek to dominate on the downs on Saturday as well, with undoubtedly a strong-ish squad, though perhaps not quite as all-powerful as sometimes it is. It will, of course, be an unusual event. We'll be getting all the news from the director of racing, Andrew Cooper, plus catching up with a couple of lively outsiders' connections. One of those is Highland Chief, who's been well-backed this week. Could he give Watcom the base of the coals, another victory in the race after generous all those years ago? Also be talking to Emissary's trainer, Hugo Palmer, the Northumberland plate hero. We'll be reflecting on the action from Tattersall Sales this week, which had some notable high spots, but was largely a disappointing sale for vendors of the Breeze Up horses. What are the implications for the industry? We'll be discussing that and much more with Luck on Sunday regular. Eve Johnson-Horton will be joining me live in the studio very shortly. And shortly after 11 o'clock, I will also be joined here at Luck on Sunday HQ by this man. He is Charlie Parker, the incoming president of the Racehorse Owners Association. He's recently been elected to the board of the British Horse Racing Authority. But it would be wrong not to begin this week by acknowledging that it's been an exceptionally, exceptionally difficult, heartbreaking week for the sport. On Wednesday morning, I was driving to Newmarket and received a call to tell me that Rose Patterson had died very suddenly at her home in Shropshire at the age of 63. Over the last three or four years as a member of Aintree's Race Day Committee, I'd got to know Rose, the chairman of that committee, extremely well. Admired her enormously, admired her warmth, her engaging spirit, her ability to unite people, to take people with them, her strength as a pioneer, her charm, and the way she went about her business with a quiet authority, but a great and sometimes wicked sense of humour. I and many people will miss her enormously in this sport. When she was chosen to chair Aintree, taking over from Peter Darsbury in 2014, they couldn't have chosen a better person than Rose because she cared deeply about the race, about the heritage of the race. It was incredibly precious to her. She was someone who naturally cared for and had empathy with people, whoever she, she, she met. You naturally sought Rose's counsel, wisdom, and good advice because she'd had so much life experience and knew so much about such a variety of subjects. Not only that, at the heart of her stewardship of Aintree was her care, her deep care and love of the thoroughbred of the racehorse. She put that 
at the heart of everything, at the foundation of everything she did. We will all miss her hugely and send our thoughts very much to her husband, Owen, and to her children, Felix, Ned, and Evie. And this news, just a few, a few hours after uh, the news came to us of the loss of Liam Treadwell, that I spoke about here on Racing TV earlier in the week. Liam himself, a grand national hero, with Mon Moam at 100 to 1 for Venetia Williams. He also extremely special to everyone who knew him in racing. And although from very different walks of life and with very different life experiences, these two people were unified by a great humility, a great passion for the sport, a great love of people. They will be much missed and they were much loved. One man who knew Liam Treadwell extremely well and has spoken extremely eloquently about mental health, the challenges of being in this industry and the challenges of being a jockey and a top flight sportsman and the ups and downs that that brings with it is former rider Kevin Tobin. I'm very pleased to say that Kevin joins me now. Kevin, good morning to you. Welcome to Luck on Sunday. Uh, good morning, Nick. How are you doing? I, I'm well, thank you. It's been a, a very difficult week for everyone in the, in the racing community. You have talked very openly about your, your struggles with, with mental health. First of all, I'd, I'd like to send you my best wishes and, and condolences for what you must be feeling on behalf of, of Liam's friends and family this week. Uh, Nick, thank you very much for that. And, and of course, you know, it is exceptionally difficult. And the first thing I want to do this morning is send my deepest and most heartfelt condolences to Liam's um, family and friends. Uh, also, you know, to, to Rose's family and friends. And, and I know you in particular had, had a special relationship with Liam and Rose. Um, yeah, it's just incredibly difficult. Um, I don't think there's a way or necessarily a, a method we should all be using. It's, it's just these things are just very, very difficult to deal with. Kevin, tell me a little bit about your, your own experience in the saddle and the difficulties you faced marrying a, a career as a, an aspiring sportsman with trying to, to keep yourself well, to, to, to keep your mind in the right place. Yeah, so Nick, first of all, you know, racing was very, very good to me. You know, I had a great time in racing. Um, some of the best days of my life were in racing. And, you know, essentially everything I have today is somewhat down to racing. Having said that, racing has a uniqueness about it that I found exceptionally difficult. And if you'll indulge me for a second, like, you know, a lot of a lot of sports people have a lot of pressures to deal with. If If you play professional football, and you play, whether you play for Liverpool or you play down the leagues, you know, you've got pressure to perform. Having said that, you're in a team environment and even if you're not the one that's, that's the star of the show or, or winning the game for your team, there's every possibility that those in the changing room with you are doing so. And as a result, you, you're a winner uh, or you're a loser as part of a, a larger team. Racing doesn't have that. It, it is an individual sport. Now you compare that to the best snooker players, uh, the best golfers, the best boxers. Um, yeah, and they too have to put up with those pressures that jockeys have to put up with. However, uh, when Rory McIlroy or you know, Jordan Spieth have a bad day on the golf course, 
um, number one, they won't be going home in an ambulance. And number two, they themselves get to decide when they're going to go out on the golf course again to compete. Um, that is not the case in racing. And that's what the constant grind of that is essentially where uh, I found I couldn't handle. Um, I was looking at the paper every day, hoping that something would happen, that I would get on a horse that, that would potentially win a race or, or be a better horse. And then eventually, over the course of time, it, it became, I guess, too much of a grind, Nick, if that, if that makes sense. Um, the, the, the idea of having to constantly compare where I was with, with the next guy. Three or four of us would constantly travel to the races. Guys, I was friendly with Sam Jones, Jared Tumulty, Richard Killoran, uh, Liam himself would, would go to the races. And, and in order for me to have a particularly good day, my best friends couldn't have a good day and vice versa. If they had a particularly good day, that meant I couldn't have a good day because they were winning the races I was in. And Kevin, when, when it came to, to, to transitioning a, away from racing, what, what was it that, that made you, you feel that you couldn't, you couldn't really carry on in, in this career? There was two things, Nick, that really jump out at me when I, when I think back at it. Uh, when I was riding in, in Catterick one day, and I remember the horse stepped at the first fence. Um, I was a, it was a hurdle race today. And the horse stepped at the first hurdle for me. And normally you, you would make some sort of an effort as a jockey to correct, correct that um, so that the next hurdle we came to, the horse would jump it better. And the first thing that crossed my mind was that I, I hoped he continued to step so there was a chance I might be injured, um, which then became an excuse or a decision I didn't have to make to, to step away from racing for a little bit which when I got back inside to the weighing room and maybe got in the car on the way home, it became very obvious that that is definitely not a healthy way to be thinking. And the second thing, looking back now, Nick, was that I was no longer the victim in my own world. I, I was no longer feeling I deserve better. I, I should be getting rides. I'm good enough. I became the villain. And what I mean by that is everybody I spoke to, my my parents, uh, my family, my, my close friends, I felt I was becoming a burden to them, not only in my issues or problems, but my general every day. You know, when my dad would check in with me in the evening time about how the day was, it became very difficult for me to actually express how I was feeling in, in real terms. And this, this to me is a key point, Nick, that a lot of the messaging right now is, is, you know, if you're feeling down, talk to somebody and we all need to talk about it. And I 100% agree with that. Um, however, I had gotten myself to such a point that, you know, it, it was needing something pretty drastic, like stepping away from racing, moving out of uh, the UK, back home, taking up a completely different career. That's what allowed me to, to get back to somewhat um, of, of level terms with myself. And if I could describe it as a way, an analogy I use when I'm working with people now is, is somewhat of a, you know, we're all in a boat. Um, every one of us are, are, you know, on a boat uh, in a river sailing our own journey right the way through life. And 
life itself you know will put holes in our boat that that's what happens every day you know whether it's it's uh, the car doesn't start or you're late for work or your boss doesn't do what you want to do or, or whatever it is will put a hole in your boat now healthy people and people that are uh, in a good place with their mental health will have the skills in their toolbox to to plug that hole in the boat however when you're young or you're in a, a merry-go-round like what racing is those holes just continue to come in your boat and eventually you start to sink now where i had gotten myself to the point was i was no longer in a boat i was up to my neck in water and something pretty drastic had to be done to get me out of that and what we need to do is not necessarily just talk we need to begin to teach people younger how to plug those holes in the boat before the boat starts to yeah. sink and get the skill sets across um, about how we're, we're all going to deal with these things as, as they come, you know? We're, we're quite well conditioned in society, Kevin, aren't we, to, to look after our bodies well now, and especially as, as sportsmen. And you know, the mind, simply uh, uh, your brain, part of your body. It's about time we, if we look after our brains properly as, we, as we're conditioned to look after our body, then we will be in better position, to use your analogy, to plug those, those holes in the boat. So it's a question of uh, being, being aware of everybody's well-being, mental well-being, rather than just, rather than just providing this as a, as a, as a curative service. Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, well, absolutely, Nick. There's, there's, again, there's a couple of things in that. I mean, one, I, I don't think, and I mean this sincerely, I, I don't think I'd have survived my time in racing had social media been as prevalent as it is today um, you know it's you know it's racing by its nature is a comparative sport you know everybody is comparing everybody to everything every horse is compared to another horse we even cross compare generations um, every time you read the paper it's it's a comparison of, of one horse to another you're then as a jockey i mean when i was riding uh, there was a, a constant out there that tony mccoy was going to be champion jockey well my fee and tony mccoy's fee were the same so i was constantly be compared to every other jockey in the weighing room and that then became part of my identity was my value as a person was tied into who i was as a jockey and how i achieved as a jockey and the irony of of it all is that we are, are most inclined to take care of other people's mental health as well. If somebody reaches out to you and to talk to you, more often than not, we will listen to them. The, as I say, the irony of that is that we quite often don't pay much attention to our own. And like I say about social media, when we're not looking at somebody face to face, or we're not speaking to somebody over the phone, we tend not to really care about the consequences of what we're saying or what we're writing. And I think that's a major change that has happened in the last 10 or 15 years is that now somebody's opinion and somebody's comparison of you as a writer, as a trainer, um, as an owner, they are now entitled and have the access to let you know exactly how they feel about you um, and exactly how disappointed in you that, that the, their money that they had put down and their opinion of you wasn't, uh, wasn't what they thought it was uh, 10 minutes earlier. And I, I do think that's a contributing factor to people's mental health today. 
and something that we should definitely consider you know taking more seriously about how we address those things and and not essentially to, to I, i'd say this to the general public you know look yourself in the mirror before you write that message before you you leave that message and ask yourself if your son or daughter your your mother your father your brother your sister was to read the message you'd just written would you still be okay with you being the one writing it and if the answer is ever no or if the answer is even maybe maybe it's not the best thing for you to write kevin um finally we we can be much kinder to each other and you've articulated that very well how would you advise those who are who are struggling to be kinder to themselves i think that's a great question nick um i have a couple of things to say on that um the first thing I'd say is the industry as a whole does does do well. However, I, I think it's time, you know, we have a, a physiotherapist in the, in the weighing room now. There's a doctor present all the time. I wonder if, if racing will consider having uh, a mental health counsellor, a mental health professional as, as just a permanent in, in, a, in a weighing room now. And maybe there's, there's a monthly check-in for 20 minutes with, with every jockey in the weighing room. And over the course of time, it's something that jockeys could, you know, just get used to doing. And even if you're not a, talk, a talker or you're not one to, to share your feelings, you, you eventually learn the skills. And we learn where, where the, 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 the standard line is with you. And when you're above and below that, it's, it's recognised and we deal with it. The second thing I'd say to the industry is maybe consider doing exit interviews and not necessarily the day you retire, but maybe six months to a year after you retire to check in with these people. As far as anybody that is not feeling well and, and maybe considering ending their life or considering themselves not worth being around, the biggest message that ever did anything for me is realizing that nothing is permanent, nothing. And I mean this in all things that happen in life, there are very few certainties. And the one certainty I can promise you is that nothing is permanent. The sadness you're feeling, the loneliness, the envy, the anger, the jealousy, the isolation, the anxiety, the fear, the darkness, um, that weight on your shoulders, that boat sinking is not permanent. And if you do anything today, just promise yourself 24 more hours, reach out to somebody that you trust and just say the words, I'm not doing so well, and just see what happens. And I promise you that your load will be lightened and you'll make it through because the world is a far better place with you in it than not. Kevin, thank you so much. Those are, are lovely words. Kevin Tobin uh, joining us from his home this morning. And if you've been affected by any of the issues that we've just been discussing, please do contact Racing Welfare 0800 6300 443 or the Samaritans Helpline 116. One, two, three. We are going to take a short break. When you rejoin me, I'll be joined by trainer Eve Johnson-Horton. It's always a great pleasure to welcome back the first ever Luck on Sunday guest of the studio, Eve Johnson-Horton. Good morning. Morning. How are you? Lots happened since I last saw you. Uh, how have things been for you? Uh, it's not too bad. I mean, you know, it's, we have something to do. So when lockdown happened, you still got to get your horses out. You still got to look after your staff and everything like that. I was, I struggled the first month or so. I have to say, I, I sort of worried about a lot of things that I couldn't change or didn't know how to change, or, and but a sort of gradual realization of how mm -hmm. to just cope with the day to day helped. And the staff in the yard and the horses all in in good 
health and good spirits and, and moving forward the way you want? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I good. mean, the staff in the yard have been amazing. They've just head down, got on with it, and they've been brilliant. Um, and they've been touch wood, all been healthy, so that's been great. Horses seem healthy. Um, trying to get your head around the new programme book is interesting. We don't get much notice. It's very hard to plan, but it's, uh, yeah, it's good. Ascot was a surreal experience, no doubt. And I, I said to somebody when I, I was there on the Friday and just looking out and there was nobody cheering and there were just a few trainers in the, in the grandstand, they said, well, you weren't here earlier in the week because Eve Johnson Horton's the only person we've heard make a noise here all week. And <laughs> dear old accidental agent, it was good to see him run a fine race again. Yeah, I was excited. He jumped out the stalls, to be honest. <laughs> I was like, oh, we had to do one now. And then he ran a really good race. And, you know, I gave him a bit of a shout because why wouldn't you? I mean, I don't care if there's no one there or not. I exactly. like to give him a shout. I'll give him a shout if I'm at home, we give him a shout. So, um, but I was thrilled. He ran a blinder, really good. And last night you had success at Newmarket, which we will talk about a little bit later on, because many people will have been focusing on the Irish Derby yesterday evening at 7.15. Aidan O'Brien with the first four home, Eve. Just a, a reaction on that to start. Yeah. Greedy. That's what I'd call it. <laughs> Greedy. <laughs> but yes, fantastic. They, um, he was very impressed with the winner, wasn't he? I think mm. he's going to be a thorough stayer, isn't he? With a, with a wonderful attitude as yeah, well, and yeah. it, was, it was great to see. I didn't see much, I must confess, of the early part of the race, which seemed completely washed out, but I did see what mattered, which was the finish, which saw Santiago lead home a 1-2-3-4 for Aidan O'Brien. And a horse of, of rare tenacity, and as Ruby Walsh pointed out last night, they briefly went out of vision. When they came back into vision, he somehow found a lovely seam through, but Shami Heffernan had to have the horse underneath him to be able to go through every gap. And Eve, he did scythe through the pack quite beautifully. Yeah, he did. I mean, he just, he doesn't sort of got, hasn't got an electric turn of foot, but he just increases and increases and increases in a way that's quite deceptive, I think. And his trainer, Aidan O'Brien, joins me on the line. Now, morning, Aidan, and congratulations. Good morning, Nick. Uh, thank you very much. Um, this is a fast becoming a, a pretty smart racehorse, isn't he? Yeah, no, we were delighted with him in, in uh, Astos, Nick. Yeah, he was a lovely horse last year. Um, uh, his form uh, of a two-year-old uh, race worked out very well, and, and obviously then his first run was in Aspect this year, and uh, he was the horse that the lads picked to go for the, the Vaz, and, and um, listen, um, he, he did it very well. Ryan was very happy with him that day, um, and then the lads decided to bring him back quick, was, which was a bit of a risk. Uh, we didn't really know what was going to happen, but all the things uh, at home, um, and um, Larkin, who rides him, and uh, Seamus, and, and Dean, and Wayne, and Everyone that's uh, Trevor, um, uh, Ray, everyone that's in charge of him and Keir and everyone had anything to do with him were, were very happy. So that's why he went there and, and he was uh, let to take his chance again, really. What sort of character is he at home? What sort of character is he to train, Aidan? Yeah, very, very easy uh, to train, Nick. Very, uh, very clean-winded, takes very little work, very natural, really. Um, very generous in his work, wants to please all the time. So... He's uh, one of those lovely horses to train, really. Uh, you don't ever have to force him to do anything, and, and uh, you just all you have to do is give him a slight intention of what you want, and, and he's very happy to do it. And the only thing you have to watch is that he doesn't overdo it. So he's a natural enthusiast. Were you pretty clear going into the race that he was your number one? I know Shamey chose him, but I always think it's an almost impossible decision. Were you clear in your own mind that he was the horse you had the highest hopes for? He, he was, I suppose, he was the highest rated horse in the race, and he had the most experience. Like we had some uh, lovely, very unexposed horses, like the second and the third and the fourth horse, and but we knew that they were only babies, and uh, really, um, we were just a little bit worried about pitching them into a race like that. Listen, uh, I suppose really, 
uh, those races, the, the, the difference between those races and conditioned races are, like in conditioned races, they're just run at kind of uh, sedate enough pace and everybody gets a chance. But when those classics are run, the, the tempo is much different and it's, it's usually fairly frantic from the start, which is right, um, because you will always find out what the best horse is. Um, but horses can have hard races in, in, in doing that. But um, no, we were delighted with the, the way the second, third and fourth ran and, and the they're horses that we think will grow up a lot from that and, and we look forward to them running the next time. I know you're not frightened of, of being unconventional, of pushing the boundaries. Is there any part of you that has, has almost thought about running any of those horses from the Irish Derby in the Derby itself? Yeah, I suppose uh, it, it's very possible. I spoke to, to John and Michael and Derek uh, um, yesterday and, and the entries have been made on Monday, so they'll... they'll uh, wait to see what everybody thinks uh, uh, today and tomorrow um, um, before they decide to make an entry or not. And if if any of them are, have come out of race exceptionally well and uh, and and they want to make an entry, obviously that's what will happen. But I I would say they they didn't do much today, so they'll do a canter tomorrow. So um, I'm sure we'll speak sometime through the morning and then see what they want to do. But it's it's not impossible, uh, Nick. Uh, so there is a a tantalising, tantalising possibility that this horse could do a very unusual double. I suppose the, the way the lads would always look at those kind of things, we'll see what, what the other horses are going to Epson, uh, what the team looks like and how they are and what we feel about them. But like I say, it, it, it was kind of very unconventional to bring horses back mm. from Ascot, so, which was and, and especially running a mile and six. So, um, but they, they had they, they they came out of race as well, and that's why they went. So, yeah. I suppose nothing is is definitely ruled out. Well, that's a, that that's intriguing for sure, uh, Aidan. In terms of the, the sort of more conventional part of the squad, if you like going to Epsom, what are you looking at at the moment? Which horses will definitely be on the on the plane if they're sound and well? Yeah, I think that I think the lads are thinking about Mythical. Uh, he's a horse um, was a very nice two-year-old last year, a Camelot horse. Um, then there's another horse that ran in the same maiden as the second and the third and the fourth um, in in the Irish Derby horse called Around the Vein. Uh, he, he he was uh, he ran in that maiden. He finished fourth, so he's possible to go. Um, then there's a horse, the Russian Emperor, which which mm -hmm. you know uh, that won in 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 uh, Ascot. Yeah. yeah. And then he seems to have come over well. And then horse called Mogul, which we're very happy with since Ascot, like. We, we had intended getting two runs into him before the derby, but obviously we couldn't. So that's why we kind of pitched him in a little bit deep. And we were trying to get one race to do what two races would do. Um, so that's why he went there. And he, we're very happy with him since. And then uh, the lads are talking about running Batigan City, the horse that was second in the Irish uh, Guineas. So um, that will be a, a very interesting one. Um, and then the third horse, Armory, was in the Irish Guineas, he's possible as well. But he's also possible that he could go to France the following day. So I think they're the horses that are in the in the picture at the moment. Obviously, uh, that didn't run yesterday. Uh, 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 so potentially a, a really significant squad. Uh, will Love be flying the flag solo in the Oaks? Uh, um, she, she's uh, working towards the Oaks, and, and Peaceful is as well. Yeah. Um, and and then the two fillies that were second and third in the Ribbonsdale, they're also uh, um, that's all, that's all also in their plan at the moment, and I suppose we get a little bit closer to that through the middle of the week. But they're all the ones that are are um, kind of on that program at the moment. Aidan, thanks so much for joining us. Well done yesterday. A tremendous achievement with the first four home, and we look forward to seeing you 
uh, the derby. And, and I, for one, am keeping my fingers crossed selfishly that Santiago might be amongst them. Aidan, thanks so much. Your pleasure, Nick. Thank you very much. Aidan O'Brien. Well, now that would be something, wouldn't it? It would be amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, he just ne named seven or eight horses, didn't he? Which I rather lost track. <laughs> which, which, which we're accustomed to, yes. the big squads. Yeah. But the, the idea of a horse going Ascot, then the rescheduled Irish Derby, then Epsom. Now, he's not saying it's definitely going to no. happen, but he didn't rule it out. He didn't rule it out. And I mean, if anyone could do it, Aidan can do it. But, you know, it's a lot to ask, isn't it, in two weeks, mm. or two and a half weeks. And um, they've had to and travel backwards and forwards yeah. as well. It's uh, yeah, a bit intriguing, isn't it? This is what I want to ask you as a lifelong horsewoman, someone who's looked after horses forever. You're accustomed to having horses of quite high calibre. Okay, Aidan O'Brien has lots and lots of horses of quite high calibre, but to be able to produce them to peak three times in three weeks, which he's been able to do with horses before, just, just from your perspective, how hard is that? Unbelievably hard. I mean, I think uh, just, to, just to, they do, I think sometimes that they have a sort of short span where they're brilliant. But what I think he's brilliant at is he does it not just like three weeks, peak, 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 and then they might have two or three weeks off and then they'll do it again. Mm. That's what I find extraordinary. And you think that's pretty unusual in terms of the way you see horses' behaviours? Well, I mean, I think you can do it, but to do it time after time after time is, is, is pretty clever. Well, what about a horse who can win a group race every year from when they're a two-year-old? to when they're an eight-year-old. He's pretty special, isn't he? Which is what Lamarto yeah, did yesterday. what a special at horse he is. I mean, this was extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, this isn't that far off what he was doing at his very, very best. No, they set it up for him. Mm. They really set it up for him, but that does not take anything away from the way he did it. He just went, oh, coming through, whoosh, off he went. It was brilliant, it was wonderful. I was very interested talking to Henry Candy afterwards about Adam Kirby, and it's the first time he'd ridden mm. him, and he felt that Adam was riding with so much confidence at the moment that it was that mentality that would suit this horse yeah. in his advancing years. Yeah. Can you identify with that? Absolutely. I mean, all jockeys ride better on confidence. You start riding winners, it's winners beget winners. And because uh, they, it's like tennis players hitting the ball, the ball looks bigger, the gaps look bigger. You've got more confidence to wait for as long as possible. And, you know, he's riding with so much confidence, Adam, and he's just like, well, you know, if the gaps don't come, the gaps don't come. And you can just sit there and wait. Hmm. And the horse himself, to retain that sort of enthusiasm is, is quite remarkable. It's great, isn't it? He's, he's just a star. He's a lovely horse, isn't he? And you'd love to have him, wouldn't you? You know Henry Candy very well. What marks him out as the, as the trainer that he is, do you think? He's very patient, um, very level. Nothing gets him too, too overexcited, nothing gets him too low, and he just knows his system works and he keeps going with the system. And he's trained some fantastic horses over mm. the years, some great classic winners like uh, Time Charter. He's trained horses like Master William, mm. Nicholas Bill, he's and great sprinters, well. Kyla Key Airwave, yeah. and so forth. But I don't think there's any horse that he's had so much affection for as yeah. this one. Yeah. He's, uh, well, you know, I think he was quite wayward, wasn't he, to start mm. with? Mm. And um, so they've done really well to get him back and get him going in the right direction. And, yeah, I'm really pleased. Yeah, it's good. He's just, he's. He's the sort of horse you love, isn't he? You see him turn up and you love him. Yeah, and I think he's fast becoming, a, well, he's become mm. a favourite about three mm. years ago, but he's becoming even more of a favourite. Now, I mentioned you had a winner of the last race at uh, Newmarket yesterday. I can tell you it was a very, very lonely experience I, being I mean, I, on, I on the I mean, I think you were mile. the only person there to see it, weren't you? I, well, I, I, well, I was. I mean, I, <laughs> I looked around, I did a 360 of the Roly Mile. There was literally no other human being in sight. I mean, the Roly Mile is bleak at the most best of times, but oh my goodness. I went there on Guinness Day and... I felt like there'd been a nuclear holocaust or something. So imagine what it was like then. So this filly, the outside here, she's mm. by Master Craftsman. She runs in the Aston House stud colours. She's from a good family. You might have some fun with her. Yeah, I think she's going to improve and improve and improve. She's a, 
We've always liked her, but she was a very weak two-year-old. Um, and we just wanted to get the runs into her. And you can see she's still green. She doesn't know what she's doing when she hits the front. Um, I think she's going to improve, and hopefully we can just go through the ranks with her a bit. And she's called Kapala? Yeah. Or is it Kepala? Kapala. Kapala. Don't ask me. It's something to do with a batik something or other. It's wrong in Malaysia or... Ah, uh -huh. now you... He's very clever, Spencer, with his naming, and it goes straight over my head. You ran a horse in these colours in the Melrose last year called Kiefer. Yes. And I wondered whether that might be the sort of target you'd be aiming for with her. Uh, possibly. Uh, we might try and stick to Philly's handicaps. Um, you know, it's just that you take out half the field, don't you, mm -hmm. Philly's only. And um, there's quite a nice programme for Philly's only. So we'll see. See how we are with her. Are you likely to be represented at all at Epsom next week? Not sure. Don't know at the moment. Possibly? Yeah, possibly, but I don't know. I don't know. It's... What might get an entry? I might have a two-year-old, possibly, but I've, unlike, I, you know, I almost want to have a runner so I can go, but that's not, I'm sure that's not the right <laughs> thing to say. But, well, I can quite know. understand that. We'll talk yeah. about that in a little while, because I yeah. think there's a possibility that we might see a smattering of people. Oh, good. I mean, owners need to go. Imagine owning Piledriver mm. and not being able to go to the Derby. You know, people like that need to be able to go. That's vitally important, I think. More of which later in the programme do hold that thought. Okay. We are going to go, I'm hoping, live to Epsom Downs very shortly to join Andrew Cooper, the director of racing there, because he's been issuing very positive bulletins about the state of the ground. We are six days away from an unusual and historic race day where the Investec Derby and the Investec Oaks will share the billing. We've had the Coronation Cup, of course, that took place at Newmarket. It was won by Gayath. And on a bumper weekend of sport here on Racing TV, we will be enjoying the Coral Eclipse from Sandown a week from now after this programme with Enable taking on Gayath. Now, that's a mouth-watering prospect. Yeah, and throw Deirdre in as well. Yeah, and possibly Lord North. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a great race. Andrew's got a very busy weekend, isn't he? Because he's uh, Sandown as well as Epsom. He's, Clark, got, of course. he's got an extremely busy yeah. weekend. And now you need to find a runner at Sandown so you can be there as I well know. on the Sunday. I know, definitely. That's all you have to do. Just exactly. drum up a runner on each day. Yeah. Now, fingers crossed, I can head to Andrew Cooper and say a very good morning. Is he there? Not at the moment. Our technology just failing us as things stand. But fingers crossed we can get there in a few moments' time. Must ask you about a horse called Bill Hilly, who ran a couple of days ago at, uh, at Newmarket. Uh, Travelled up very strongly and looks a, a winner waiting to happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think um, Charlie was kicking himself. He went, oh, I went too soon, I went too soon. But I'm not sure he's a certain stayer at this time. I think he'll strengthen up into staying, but I think he hit the front and didn't... He was outstayed by the others. They looked like they need further as well. So, no, I was really pleased with him. He's still green baby. I think, he again, he's an improving type. And in terms of the overall winner count, are you pretty happy with where you're at? Well, obviously we're down on winners because, yeah. um, you know, we've lost half the season. Uh, so, yes, no, it's really hard at the moment because normally, by now, all the ones that were really well handicapped, they've exposed themselves and gone up and out mm -hmm. and the sort of more ordinary races are easier to win. But every ordinary race we've seen you running in, there's something thrown in by, of ham dams that just sort of wins by 10 lengths or something. <laughs> it's like, well, hello. <laughs> Um, and your handicappers that are just sort of winning off their mark, or you know, they're just about on a winning mark, it's really hard for them. So it's going to probably take a few more months to even out, maybe. Oh, I think I'm going to go take two with Andrew Cooper. Andrew, good morning. Yes, he is there. Morning, Nick. Can you hear me? I can, and I can see you more importantly. It's a breezy day on the downs. Uh, what sort of conditions the track in? Six days away. 
Perfect, Nick. Wouldn't mind running it here this morning, to be honest. I'd say good ground. We'll be giving our first going reporters a meeting as, as good later this morning. Uh, we had about five millimetres of rain here yesterday uh, morning. Uh, breezy and, and sunny spells sort of since then. So, yeah, good, good as we speak and great, Nick. And what sort of forecast have you, have you got? I don't, think I don't think we're looking at any extremes of anything, Nick, to be honest, in this week ahead. I think temperatures are going to settle back down to the low 20s, which is good for us. That's nice, manageable sort of temperatures. Doesn't seem to be a great deal of rain in the forecast for the week as a whole. There could be little bits and pieces on either day. Uh, so I think, you know, it, it's a sort of my, my feeling is it's we're on top of things ground conditions wise. If, if, if the week stayed dry completely or looked like staying dry completely, you know, my experience of this place would tell me it probably would need a couple of millimetres of something from us, maybe midweek. But we'll review that closer to the time. We'll be leaving things alone, certainly for today and certainly for tomorrow and take stock of things thereafter. But we're really happy with conditions. Obviously, you're now familiar with racing behind closed doors. But to what extent have you and your team had to do an awful lot of improvisation ahead of next Saturday? Well, the, the biggest challenge with, with racing behind closed doors at Epsom is, was, was clearly the very nature of the course here and the land, which, which, which you know, uh, is subject to rights of air and exercise for public. It isn't common land. Some people think of it as common land. It, it isn't that. But there are rights of access that we've had to manage to enable us to race here on Investec Derby Day next Saturday. And fundamentally, that means we're going to have to put up about three miles of fencing around the uh, what we call Epsom Downs here. Walton Downs remains unopened, the other side of the, the top side of the course. But that's that's the key physical thing. And that's obviously uh, something we, we received approval to do from the local board of conservators here in early May, which gave us basically the thumbs up to, to, to set full steam ahead for Investec Derby Day. So physically, that's the major thing that probably unlike most courses in the country we've had to do. Otherwise, internally, yeah, we've done what everyone else has done. We know we've put cubicles in for the jockeys, one-way systems everywhere. Uh, but obviously, the sort of regulations are still evolving at the moment and are certainly beginning to ease somewhat, or perhaps with some additional people perhaps being able to come on course. And we're waiting for waiting for further advice on that sort of thing. So, but we're, we're, we're all set to go here with a, with a behind-closed-doors race day. Well, we've had a, a bit of an, an indication from the BHA that there's going to be a statement of some sort put out tomorrow, we think, from the RCA and the ROA. And we've got the ROA president incoming, Charlie Parker, joining us later in the studio. So we may get some steer in that respect. Uh, Andrew, in terms of having the Oaks and the Derby on the same day, what sort of challenge does that present you? Do you know, I, I mean, I found it, having researched it, I, I was actually amazed that it hadn't ever taken place before. I, I thought surely sometime in the 1780s or maybe even during the wartime derbies, you know, the, the Oaks and Derby had actually taken place on the same day. But they, they've always been at least a day apart at, at the various Epsom and obviously the wartime Newmarket meetings. So... Um, it's, it, I mean, in a sense, the easiest thing from a track preparation point of view, both for here and for the Coral Eclipse and Sandown, is we are only looking at one day's racing. Off, usually with the Derby, you know, our preparations are trying to make sure that we have the track in condition for a late afternoon Derby on the second day of a two-day meeting. 
and obviously from a from a track preparation point of point of view, really only having sort of one day and one target to aim at is, is a lot easier. And I think I'm really pleased with both the, the race program that we, we we've come up with. We we weren't sure at one stage whether races like the Princess Elizabeth and the Surrey Stakes and the Woodcut could form part of this program. But I think it's a really balanced, interesting day's racing, and we're hugely looking forward to running both both these you know, hugely important classics on the same day. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for talking to us. We can't wait to see you at Epsom, and from the sounds of what Aidan O'Brien was saying, you might get a pretty big field as well. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. It'll be fascinating to see what this entry stage tomorrow tomorrow brings, and uh, yeah, you know, it is shaping up to be an absolutely fascinating investigate derby. Andrew, thanks a lot. Andrew Cooper, the director of racing and clerk of the course on Epsom Downs. Now, could it be more Derby success for Watcom? Last tasted in 1991. Can you believe it's that long ago? It doesn't seem like that. No, long ago, I remember it? generous winning really clearly. I can't believe that. Really that, clearly that, yeah. and really, really impressively. Yeah, yeah. And now it is not just Paul Cole's name on the license. It's Oliver Cole as well. Highland Chief is their representative. And Ollie Cole joins us on the line now. Ollie, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Nick. How are you? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Um, how is Highland Chief, more importantly, and is it all systems go definitively for, for the Derby next Saturday? Yes, it is. Um, it is all systems go. Obviously, you know, it, it's probably closer. The race has come closer than it w would be ideal, but the horse seems in great form and uh, all systems go. And he seems really well in himself here. We we couldn't be happier. But uh, as I said, it is a bit close. But um, from what we can see here, he, he, he's in fine, fine fettle. And, and given how quickly after the race at Ascot, uh, Jim Hay was suggesting the derby might be next, uh, was this a premeditated plan from, from some way out during the lockdown? Well... Honestly, we um, we are very disappointed after Newmarket and before Ascot, he, you know, about two three weeks, he sort of um, showed showed himself off really well here. He he's been working really well and uh, going into the race, we were quietly confident, although we couldn't be sure um, after you know after him putting in that performance at Newmarket. But we thought he had run well and um, yeah, he showed us what it, what he's made of. Um, to make up all that ground and win and slightly sort of veer left, he um, he showed us what 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 a what a, what a true, truly good horse he is. Uh, you you are just about old enough to remember generous streaking clear in the 1991 Derby. Do you have to pinch yourself to think that with only a few weeks that your name's been on the license, you now have a runner in the world's most famous horse race? Yeah, it's, it's amazing, really. It's. Um, probably a bit lucky but you know you're only as good as the horses you've got and um yeah we're really really lucky to have him and um i hope he runs a good race he'll obviously have to stay we think we think we think he will stay um after his performance at ascot obviously you know with the you know with the incline at the end of epsom no one can be quite sure um you know it's really is a true test of a, a mile and a half and um yeah but from what we can see we, we're hoping he will stay and um you know, he, he's very exciting because he's got a great turn of foot. Uh, who's going to ride him, Ollie? Uh, we've got Andrea Adzini. Um, he's ta taken the ride. Um, Ross uh, 
obviously is a very very good jockey he's um but you know on the big occasion like this it's you really need someone that's got the experience and andrea's amazing around um epsom and um you know having him him on board is you know is a real bonus because obviously you know no one's going to give an inch none of the jockeys are giving it an inch and um andrea seems to creep through everywhere or anywhere well, that's what you need. Uh, you need plenty of luck. And I know you've said it, you, you've got it. The horse is clearly in good fettle. Wishing you all the very best, adding another rich layer to what's already a, a fantastic, uh, a fantastic looking Investec derby. Ollie, thanks very much indeed. Good luck. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Not at all. I mean, the nice thing, Eve, isn't it, that Aidan might have nine, ten runners, but you've got Ollie and Paul there with a runner. You've got Andrew Balding with three runners, including the Guineas winner. I know, William Muir even, with a runner. We haven't even mentioned Cameco. Exactly. And, uh, you know, you'd think he looks to have a really solid chance, doesn't he? You'd, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? I mean, you? he looks like a stare in the making. I can't see why he wouldn't stay. He's beautifully balanced. He, uh, he doesn't seem to have holes in him, I don't think. And, and that's the key, a lovely balanced horse. And the way they speak about him as well at Kingsclear tells you that they really believe he is the, he's the yes. absolute real yeah. deal. I know he's won a guineas, but he didn't fluke a guineas. No, he didn't fluke it. And, he, and it wasn't easy. It wasn't just handed to him. He had to sort of um, weave his way through there as well. And that will have um, stand him in good stead. And the dip in, at Newmarket, he had to rebalance himself through there. That will really stand him in good stead. I, I, you know, I think he's a very strong favourite. So, if, well, I think English King's still favourite at the moment. Well, so, I mean, yeah. would, you be, would you back Kamiko at the prices given English King's rather well, than making the I, I market mean, I, for him? I'm a £2 each way girl if I'm insulted by the price. So it's unlikely. But <laughs> I, if, if someone asked me who was going to win the derby, I would say Kamiko. When accidental agent won the Queen Anne, did you have £2 each way? Yeah, I did. Or did you have a bit more? I had a tenner each way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at to one, I was... Quintuple yeah. your stake. Yes. Um, how's he going to get on at Windsor this afternoon? Um, obviously, he's better on a straight track. You know, his, his form's there to be seen. But you, it's, it's limited with options for him. There's this race, there's the Summer Mile, and then there's nothing, really, until, until the, maybe the celebration at Goodwood. So, um, you know, they put him up £4. So, I mean, we, we'd thought about maybe going in the Bunbury Cup when we're 107, but <laughs> running off 111 in the Bunbury mm. Cup isn't ideal. So... You know, um, we'll see. It's a long straight, isn't it? I think it'll run it really is. well. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. Welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday. I'm delighted to be able to welcome guests back into the studio, albeit appropriately socially distanced, and we make sure everything is cleaned properly between, uh, between each guest, but it is great to have people back here. It makes it a much less lonely experience for me, and I'm extremely pleased that Charlie Parker is with me. He is the incoming president of the Racehorse Owners Association, taking up his post officially on Tuesday, though he's been hard at work behind the scenes as a council and board member for some years. He is also going to be, as part of his new role at the head of the Horsemen's Group, on the board of the British Horse Racing Authority. Charlie, good morning. Good morning, Nick. Are you a glutton for punishment? I think it obviously yes is the answer to that. Um, no, I mean, I think it's an exciting time. I mean, it's very difficult, but, um, uh, you know, I think um, if you've got the experience and, the, and hopefully the skill set, then if we can make a difference and help owners and help the racing industry as a, as a broad church, then we've got to try and help. What skill set do you need for this role, do you think? Uh, thick skin. Um, I think you need to understand the finances. Um, you obviously have to um, understand owners and their, um, their desires and their wishes and their hopes, but also you know, the, the rest of the horsemen in terms of the trainers and the breeders and 
jockeys, stable staff. And I think also you really need to have a grasp of the wider financial picture that racecourses face, uh, where the revenues come from, where the costs go. Um, and uh, I suppose some historical uh, knowledge as to how we've got to where we've got to, uh, instead of just arriving and saying, crikey, it's all a mess, and um, you know, why has this happened? And actually knowing where we've got to. What is the most pertinent question in your in-tray from owners? Um, prize money. Always? Um, well, I think at the moment, can we go racing? When can we go racing? Um, but I would say, other than the frustration about particular race categories and not being enough class sixes or whatever, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's our conversations over the last four years where I've been involved is, is primarily around prize money and, and the distribution of it. And, um, and uh, it, it's a boring story, in, I'm afraid, but that is the answer. Things have got quite heated in the last couple of weeks. A war of words is not putting it too strongly between the RCA boss, Racecourse Association boss David Armstrong, and the chief executive of the, of the ROA, Charlie Liverton, who's been an occupant of that seat before. Um, both of them rather suggesting that the other party didn't understand the needs of the other. Um, I, you know, it's unfortunate that things go public. Um, we have worked incredibly well together as an industry to get racing back on. And I, I do mean that, that's not just lip service. You know, the, the ROA, the breeders, the trainers all featured heavily in the resumption work stream, along with the RCA and the BHA. And, um, you know, I think that, that, you know, we can take pride in that. Um, however, what we can't allow to happen is a abandoning of previous commitments around prize money. Um, at the moment, we're racing for levy money only. Um, and we all accepted that for the first 10-week period. Um, currently, we don't. Although, although there has been an executive contribution from Ascot and the Jockey Club, has there? There, there has the been there has been a voluntary contribution. Yes, mm. um, we don't know what their revenue streams were, so we don't know whether that was a very generous contribution or a or a less generous. So it's contribution. not levy board money only. No, not no, well. Obviously, we've also got owners' entrance fees that mm -hmm. we're running for, which make up a big proportion of it. Um, and there are some racecourses where there has been no, and in fact, in one case, there's been a very small uh, um, uh, negative uh, contribution to uh, prize money. So I think, I think the, um, the, the, there's, there's two pieces to this. The first piece is what happens after the 8th of August, when the first 10-week period finishes. Um, and that's going to encompass who, who's controlling the fixtures and what prize money are we going to run for. The second piece, which is something that we really need to work on um, and something we've started, is to establish a new set of prize money agreements. Um, the old set uh, came to an end at the end of 2018, I think. There's been a, an ongoing rollover, renegotiation, which hasn't, hasn't come to fruition. And uh, our plan is to effectively engage with the racecourses directly um, and, and hopefully negotiate a fair and reasonable prize money agreement that we can put in a draw for three, five years and um, stop talking about it. That would be the most perfect uh, uh, start to my tenure at the ROA and the Horsemen's Group. That's going to take a while. That's probably, you know, if, if we said the 1st of January, that would 
some people might think we were being over optimistic. Um, but that's something we're really going to try and try and achieve. Um, and it, it's, um, I, I, I genuinely think I'm optimistic and, and we can do it. Is it a simple question of persuading, cajoling, uh, getting in any way you can the race courses to, to contribute more to the prize money pot? Is, that, is it as simple as that? I, it, no, I don't think it is as simple as that. I think race courses, you know, they, they recognise that um, uh, putting on good racing with good prize money will attract good fields and, and, and exciting sport. We're all in this together. I mean, you know, the conversations we've had recently with the, with the jockey club, for instance. You know, it's apparent that we are we're all the same. We're all on the same side mm. in that respect. You say that, but yesterday at Newcastle, they ran the Chip Chase Stakes Group Three, and at Newmarket, the Criterion Stakes Group Three, for minimum value of twenty grand to the winner each each race. No, no executive contributions there at all, and yet they filled up both races with representative fields. Yeah, and you see, this is where that this is where it becomes. Um, the, where the paths diverge, because on the one hand we're all talking the same story, but then you've just highlighted that the, the, the money doesn't come through into prize money, and and you know. It, but I, these are exceptional circumstances. No, I know they are. The I know they are, would argue. We we have been, as a, as a group of horsemen, we have been. Um, I would say we've been outgunned in terms of negotiation over the last few years, uh, outresourced and outgunned. Um, I'm not, it's not a criticism of any individuals. So we you just, say the race course has become too powerful? I, I believe so, yeah. And I think that there needs to be a balance. And I think that that balance needs to be um, across the industry. So we're at BHA representation at, 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 at negotiations around prize money agreements. And I think, you know, we've, we've been lulled, I think, into a false sense because prize money has risen over the last few years. Um, it, it, the, 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 the issue has sort of gone away uh, from people's front of people's minds. And as soon as minimum values, like last year, at, uh, you know, when ARC decided they were going to try and unilaterally lower the minimum values and then there was the boycott, etc., then it suddenly comes flaring back up again. Mm. And I think what I would really like to do is, is to establish a relationship with the racecourses and, and establish those agreements that we can then just move on and enjoy the sport and, and do the things that we need yeah. to do around the sport. Bring young children in and bring university students in and engage with a different demographic. Um, you know, make, make the experience of owning a horse at a race course much more interesting, much more fun. Um, you know, make, make owners feel really cool about going racing and, and, and the treatment they get. But we can't do all of that until we've sorted out the prize money. So what do you say to, to David Armstrong strongly refuting the suggestion that the racecourses are acting in, in some sort of quasi-cartel and are essentially fixing prize money rates between them and acting anti-competitively in order to shore up their own finances at the expense of the horsemen who haven't had any opportunity really to use the government um, retention furlough scheme in the same way that racecourses have? Well, I mean, you know, we can pick bits out of letters and we can... Uh, uh, sort of fight those those battles. That you know, the fact is that um, owners during lockdown spent something in the region of thirty-three million pounds a month on training fees, racing for no prize money. Um, we, the owners as a group, lost a lot more money than the racecourses did during the same period. So to 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 then um, say we're not going to return to any executive contributions as a uh, as, a, as a, a contractual obligation as opposed to some sort of um, um, gift, you know, that, hey, well, we'll, we'll, we'll bung in a few quid here. I think, I, I just don't think he's right and I don't think it, his letter portrayed the 
discussions that we've had, and I, I, I didn't think it was very helpful at all. Um, Can you get this relationship back on track? Yeah, I don't have. I, I, I'm, I, I'm a person who I think who tries to get on with everybody, and I, I'm certainly not looking for fights. Um, but the fact is that the horsemen are, uh, you know, th 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 there's, there's a militant tendency in, in all groups, but we, 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 we just want a fair share. I mean, it's not, it's not you know, it, people are suffering, owners are suffering, trainers are suffering. Um, you know, there's 6,000 horses at grass since, since lockdown started. Um, okay, you'll say most of those are national hunt horses, and I've got three and four in a field, my friends and I have got four in a field as well. But there's 1,800 flat horses that haven't come back. You know, this is, this is an industry in crisis, and we need to pull together. But at the heart of it is if one side or if one group are able to make money and use that money for whatever, um, and the other group is suffering, it's just, it's just not fair. Um, how hard are you going to beat the drum that's been beating the last few years about racecourses disclosing their media rights payments? And now it's different with, with Watch and Bet. Um, coming along. Yeah, no, it's transparency, it's, it's all about a feeling. I mean, this goes back... Will you try and force them to...? I don't think you can force them, but I think if you can work collaboratively with them and come up to with a fair um, agreement that, that, that has some mechanism whereby we see through into that revenue stream, we don't have to know the actual numbers, then fine. I think the transparency issue is almost post-deal done because it's holding it's holding the deal to account and i think that's where in the past we haven't been able to because we just haven't had the resource to do it but um yeah you you, you want to feel confident that the people you're negotiating with have, have told you what 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 the real deal is and and not necessarily um hidden it but what would be the motivation for example for a group like jockey club racecourses to be hiding that when they are plowing their their resource back into the growth of the sport um i think it's a bit more complicated than that they they you know they're shareholders in the um, media company that sells the rights um you know with the the gross revenue the net revenue there's there's a number of issues there that that um could motivate uh, people to not want to disclose, etc. But I, I, don't, I don't really want to go down the disclosure route. I, I think the, the key here is to is to establish a fair deal and recognising the amount of money that's coming. Fifteen years ago, we raced for the levy. Th this idea of selling pictures and, yeah. and, and 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 this huge revenue stream, we raced for the levy. And when that idea of that revenue stream started to materialise, the owners believed that they owned it. I mean, you know, we go all the way back to ancient history and we lost. We lost by, you know, a judge in Brussels or, you know, wherever the decision finally got, got taken. But the fact that the deal was done afterwards, whereby there was a 60-40 split racecourses horsemen, obviously meant at the time that there was a moral feeling, that, that there, there was a feeling that horsemen did, were entitled to this, some of this new income stream. Now, so today, where we're not getting any of that income stream at all, is a, is a very sorry place. And we have to go back to that idea that that income stream and the overall um, health of the, the race courses, it needs to be fed back to the horsemen. Um, I wish we could talk for so much <laughs> longer, but we are, we, are, we are running out of time. I just want to ask you finally about owners coming back yeah. to the race course. This is what's on everyone's mind. Do you believe owners will be on a race course by the end of this week? Yes. 
I think I, basically, I, as, as I understand it, and we've been working, the ROA and the RCA have been working very closely together, believe it or not, <laughs> with the BHA, and it's true. Um, well, this I, is something you can work on quite happily together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they want, they want to go back and we want to go back. So, um, yeah, I would think uh, there's a BHA announcement going to come out tomorrow, I think. Well, the BHA say it's your announcement. It's not, it's not our announcement. It's the BHA's announcement. It's an industry announcement. I mean, it basically, it's, 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 it's working within the government guidelines. That's the mantra. Okay. So, so it's an industry announcement. So the industry working within the government guidelines hopefully will make an announcement in the next 24 hours or so, and owners can get back on the race course in a form. Will, it'll be a fa will it be a phased return? I think so. I mean, you know, I heard Eve saying about Newbury, uh, um, you know, Goodwood are going to have 500 people for the Derby. At Goodwood, but and then the next day when they race, they can't. They couldn't have anybody. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's plainly ridiculous, and and hopefully we we've got there. So hopefully. How do you think the race courses have done so far? Prize money aside. Uh, prize money aside, I think they've done a good job. No, I think we the racing is is. Uh, I haven't been on a course, so I can't. I'm, I know my friendly trainers who've been on courses have said that it's not a very nice atmosphere. Mm. That nobody's there and. It's, 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 but yeah, no, they've done a great job. You're about to join the BHA board and put you on the appointments committee as well. Uh, we're taking over from Nicholas Cooper. BHA new chief executive will be announced soon. Who do you, who do you think it'll be? Um, I don't know. I've not been party to the process. I did ask in my induction interview whether I would be party to the process. And um, it depends on whether they've sorted it out before I get on the board. So I don't know is the answer. Who would you like it to be? Um, I don't even know who the candidates are, but I'd like it, I'd like it was somebody that, um, had some sort of financial background, so understood it, and um, and I would I'd hope for a racing person, uh, somebody from the racing community, because I think it, it it's it's such a specialism, and, and and people are so passionate about it. For people to come in from the outside and get up to speed, I think is is a tough ask, and it's a really difficult situation we're in, and the BHA are in a difficult situation financially, and 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 where they're going to go. So yeah, that I would that was what I'd hope for. Charlie Parker, thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.